So that's what that was all about, I think. It was that freedom to explore and to uh, invent and, um, you know, try different things. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gilzambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. If you're looking to add some pizzazz to that practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of their additive glitter to any Speedball fabric, screen printing ink, and bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This glitter additive can be used in nearly any ratio, so whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. My guest this week is Catherine Brimbrary, the founder of the iconic flatbed press of Austin. We talk about how a controversial mural in her hometown post office lit the spark of interest for art in her as a young girl, her road to starting Flatbed and how she's kept the institution going for over 30 years, and the joys of collaborative printmaking. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to wrestle up some additions with Catherine Brinberry. Hi, Catherine. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks, Miranda. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our talk. I feel like Flatbed and you and its story has been a highly requested interview um, and has also been on my list for quite some time. And we -hmm. got to be a bit of ships passing in the night at Austin um, this last weekend, but I knew that we had this conversation coming up. And so that was really great. And I'm looking forward to finally getting a talk to a chance to hear your story. Well, thank you, Miranda. I mean, that was fun at the print expo and, and I felt the same way. I thought, well, we're going to be talking. We better not talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it fresh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, before we dive in, could you please uh-huh. let people listening know by way of introduction, just who you are yeah. and where you are and what you do. Well, I'm Catherine Brimberry. I'm uh, right now sitting at Flatbed in my office. Um, Flatbed Press was founded back in 1989 by myself, and I had a business partner. And I uh, kind of dove in as master printer. Um, and that's what I love to do. I found out uh, through trial by fire that I love, absolutely love collaborating with mm-hmm. artists. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, the rest, you know, with good fortune and wonderful people supporting me in all kinds of ways and great artists coming my way to Austin, I've been able to kind of maintain this ship afloat for the last 32 years. So, and it's been, it's been a great ride. I've loved it. It's been good. And it that doesn't mean it's over. It just yeah. means I'm enjoying it and still am. Wonderful. Yeah. So where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? 
Well, I grew up on the high plains of Texas, which mm. is the panhandle uh, around Lubbock. Um, uh, my father was a farmer um, in a small town south of Lubbock. Uh, very little art in that town, except for an amazing, an amazing mural uh, at the post office, which I always had an excuse to go into the post office and look at it. Mm. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to remember the, uh, the artist. He's not someone that people would know very well, but his his uh, painting made a huge impression on me. And I don't ever remember not wanting to make images, mm. not wanting to draw and always being impressed with, with art. Um, what, was, sorry, what was the subject of the mural that captured you yeah. so? It was a huge uh, landscape of um, cattle, uh, people herding cattle, but they, they there was a prairie fire. Oh, in the background, there was smoke swirling all throughout the, the landscape. And um, there were two vaqueros. They looked like vaqueros. You know, they had they looked um, like they might be from Mexico and they had beards. And they had roped and slaughtered a calf. And they had opened its body to drag along the fire. And so it was horrific and dramatic and this powerful. Is like- such uh-huh. an intense subject for a public post office. I love it. I feel like you wouldn't see that these days. <laughs> you probably wouldn't. And I know that there was a big controversy in this little tiny 8,000 people town about that mural. And the, But the mayor took it on himself to grow a beard, just like the big Carol. And he <laughs> did. And got it put on the post office wall. <laughs> it was an amazing piece. And it, you know, it made a huge impression on me. Yeah. I also happened to have a grandmother who, after being widowed in her 50s, went back and start to, to college and started taking art classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she taught me to paint with oils the way that she was being taught with oils when I was probably 11. And, um, you know, I, and probably the first print I ever made was from my mother's little gel uh, pad that she made handouts for, for, um, for Sunday school. You know, she would mm, make little mm-hmm. handouts with this gel pad. And um, I, I figured I could probably make pictures too. So I started making pictures off the gel pad. But so I don't remember not ever wanting to be creative in, you know, either making images or I did all kinds of things, you know, building things, uh, imagining things, creating plays. You know, I was that kind of kid. So mm-hmm. um, I loved it. And when it came time to go to high school, I, I was able to even do some some lithographs kind of from a lithograph. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Class. And I got an art scholarship, very little one, but it was to a small Christian school in Lubbock and went there and had a fantastic instructor there professor who went on to become a sculpture professor in California. But he was amazing. And, uh, you know, I knew my path pretty early. I just didn't know how to get on it very Mm -hmm. well for a while. Mm -hmm. Went on to school, um, uh, married very early. And my husband and I went to New Mexico and I studied with, um, you may, since you're living in Santa Fe, you may have heard of Elmer Schooley, who was a Printmaker as well as a painter, 
studied with him at New Mexico Highlands in Las Vegas. Uh, really uh, fell in love with printmaking there. And that's where I knew that's what I, you know, that was the medium for me, the processes, the way that I could take something and manipulate it. And it wasn't like drawing on paper. I had a surface to draw, whether it's a, a copper or stone. I probably did more stone lipo there than I did because co- we didn't have copper. We had zinc. Um and uh, after, you know, starting a family on the Navajo reservation where I taught art mm-hmm. and also taught printmaking to high oh. school students, um, ended up uh, in Alamogordo, my family and I, and I went to graduate school in Las Cruces and studied with Spencer Fiddler, who happened to have his professor was Mauricio Lazansky. And so I was able to meet him. And um, it was a very forward um um, art community in Las Cruces in the late seventies, early eighties was just when I was there. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, I found a lot of freedom um, under Spencer to to just kind of explode um, intaglio and not let it be a process oriented, you know, technically oriented medium. Have it be an ex- more expressive medium, and uh, so I, you know, I. I, um, I, it was a very rewarding and exciting time for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like, you know, your story has in it this seed of the power of good public art, which I just mm. love because, mm. and, and how good art can be challenging and, and often is. And, and, you know, I've worked a bit on civic grants councils and that kind of thing in my days in the arts and you so often you know now those conversations are just like oh like this little kid flying a kite is left-handed and we don't want people to think that that will make right-handed kids feel bad you know like these like insane conversations and I just love this idea of like this like slaughtered calf just like just inspiring the young Catherine and just being like I'm gonna make art you know because because it does and that's it's just so important and that it set you on this journey and that you know brought you um to to my part of the world and and then of course you know the the power of good instructors as well and and people who um you know can inspire you yeah yeah so yeah, my work has never been about beauty but it has to be beauty I think it was those early experiences of you know good art has to be powerful mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you mentioned a bit you know this idea of kind of 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 you know you had um your experience with with stone lithography and then mm-hmm. going to Las Cruces you kind of got the experience with Intaglio and you mentioned sort of in passing this idea of, of sort of, you know, blowing out, f- blowing off the doors of the the construction of what Intaglio could be um, during mm-hmm. that time. Can you speak to that a little bit more? What did that kind of look like for you, that that freedom of exploration within what is often, you know, such a, a, a medium that's about the precision and the detail and the uh, exacting nature of it? It doesn't sound like that was what you were doing with it. No, 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 no. My... Um my professor, Spencer Fiddler, and I, and the other professors that were there that I was working closely with, when we would have a critique, it was about not about the niceties of a print. It was about you're making art. And we did a lot, I did a lot of drawing and collage, and I even did some sculpture all at the same time. And I found that, you know, when I made a sculpture, 
I've found way I like how can I how can I get this experience of this sculpt sculpture into a print? You know, I wanted to kind of break down the barriers, not that a print need to become a sculpture, but that I could create an experience with a print that was beyond, you know, what a typical print would look like and I would get ideas from the sculpture mm. and that would push me to experiment, maybe even invent what I thought was inventing. I'm sure other people have tried, <laughs> and tried things, but, you know, I was always wanting to invent ways to make um, marks or print it so that it had some other, it, I, someone would experience something that I was experiencing. And um, so that's what that was all about. I think it was that, that freedom to, explore and to uh, invent and, um, you know, try different things by using other medias, you know, to kind of bounce ideas around from and to. Uh, so I, even when I made sculpture, I, I was making sculpture that would kind of invent something that I was seeing in the print. Mm. Uh, I, I was a really rich experience. Um, I, yeah, I think it had a, has a lot to do with how I became um, a collaborating printer. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is sort of in this this arc of, of you know, from uh, the post office to flatbed press. <laughs> when did um, collaborative printmaking as even an option or as, you know, a whole different branch of the printmaking world uh, come into your life? When flatbed started, although when it did and I had did my first collaboration with Jack Hanley, who was a painter teaching and painting at University of Texas. Um, he was really my true first collaboration. I realized this was a lot like how I taught, only I was taking responsibility for the technical um, creation of the work. But when I taught, uh, I was teaching in a way that I was taught from Spencer Fiddler and Elmer Schooley and Bob Privet, these are all my professors who, who really didn't put their hand into what I was doing. Mm. They challenged me to look at how I draw, look at this, or think about what can you invent, where can you take it, instead of how can you nail it down. There's a difference. And um, so that's how I was teaching. And you know, so when when I started collaborating, of course, I became responsible for the success of the work, uh, the technical success of the work. Mm -hmm. And I had to I had to use my teaching skills to kind of um, uh, inform the artist I was working with and get them uh, comfortable with working with the techniques that I that I set out. And, but their choices and their marks had to be theirs. So this, let me tell you about the first collaboration. Yeah. Sort of blew my mind with Jack Hanley. Um, Jack was making these wonderful paintings that were had really tight little drawings in the center of them, kind of stylistic, um, almost pictographic, but they were these drawings and, and um, just simple contour, but... Uh, drawings of like a plague doctor, mm. a prince, um, a, a, a shaman, other things he was doing in his paintings. But he wanted, and he explained this to me, he wanted to contrast the control of those with a chaotic uh, background or chaotic field that he could put them in. 
And he wanted to completely lose control mm-hmm. of that deal. So, wow, that's that's like a candy store to me. <laughs> and for, what can we do to lose control and to still have it, you know, create this wonderful chaos that uh, a wonderful controlled drawing could work on top of? So I just, that was so much fun. Mm-hmm. We were pouring acid. We were doing things you probably shouldn't do, but we were, you know, we were, we were, um, we were spraying off ground in the water and putting, oh, you know, anything you could think of. I could, I brought white ground to the table. We were trying, trying our best to not control it, try it to the plate, not control it, and then get it etched into the plate. We ended up with three separate prints that are called the ideology suite that have one has a plague doctor printed in the center. One has a a prince in the center. One of them has a shaman and the backgrounds are all created in this uh, way that is really very pleasing. Yet he created it without knowing what it was going to do. And, you know, with hopefully without control and, um, Anyway, I love those. I love that whole process of being able to let go in that suite and work with an artist. More than that, work with this artist's ideas. You know, if an artist can come with a concept like that, I can meet them and to, you know, help fulfill their concept in a printmakerly way. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about, you know, the way you engage with the actual collaborative process and you know, why it kind of lights you up and you can you can tell that just from the way you talk about it, even, you know, your your first project, um, you know, from I'm guessing, you know, 1989, you still hear the joy in your voice. And is it is it the kind of like the, the problem solving? Is it the fact that artists bring things to the table that you wouldn't have come up with on your own, but then you get to engage with it? Um, what's, what is it that keeps you, you know, coming back all this time? Well, part of it's problem solving, but more often, you know, it's, it's the actual doing it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's working with them. It's, it's getting, it's in finally seeing this like, oh, what? it's like an, oh, aha moment, you know, when you, when it's both the process and the problem solving, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, that's just one collaboration. They're all different. Um, and, uh, but I think I have to always come with a very open mind about it, um, you know, to hear and see how the artist wants to go about making something, or what their what their concept is. Um, as soon as I try to solve a problem the same way the second time, I know it's like, work oh, very good. yeah, yeah. Uh huh. In the process of the last 32 years of doing these collaborations, I have built up a bigger vocabulary of ways we can work together that I can propose to an artist. Mm. Um, uh, you know, these are just techniques, really, but uh, it's got to be something that really fits that artist's concept and their way of working. Uh, if it doesn't, it's going to be pretty awkward and not successful. Mm-hmm. And and when you say it, it has to match the way of working, is that often aesthetic choices? You know, so if they're very painterly, 
you might、mm-hmm. want to use spit bite, or if they're very precise,、um, is is it is it the aesthetic, or is it also kind of maybe more philosophical as well? You know, if they're if they're someone who you can tell from talking, you know, wants to be able to make a lot of quick decisions.、Um, mm-hmm. Yeah,、uh, yeah, the aesthetic has a lot to do with it,、um, but also. How does that artist work? Do they work very slow?、Mm. Do they have trouble making decisions?、Mm. You know, what if some very good artist takes them a long time,、um, or takes longer than others? Let's just say it that way to really settle on, you know, whether this is working for them or not.、Um, you know, I, I like to tell people when when I talk about collaboration that I don't bat a thousand, which、mm. means that, you know, not everything we do works. And、um, so,、uh, but it works best when the artist is open to the process, and when the artist can make can can you know he, that the artist and myself we can kind of go forward deciding.、Um, it's in that indecisive time. That's、mm, the hard thing. Yeah, the hardest thing because I don't want to. I don't want to take control of the art making.、Um, I do want to、um, guide them in a way that they, you know, like you can do this or you can do that. You can, if you do this, most likely we don't know all of that time with an intaglio what exactly is going to happen, but there's a chance this will be where you're going. If you do that, there's a chance you'll go there. Then they've got to make that kind of decision of where they want to go.、Mm. Have you found that you know over the Last thirty-two years that you've gotten really good at, at reading artists quickly. Like I'm kind of imagining,、um, you know, just kind of reflecting it to my actually my own、uh, experience. You know, just for a couple of years doing interviews and and people coming on and and I can you know just from the chat that we have beforehand, my mind starts doing these calculations about okay, like. They need a little bit more time to make to make sure I know that they're finished, and if I jump on too quickly, I'll cut them off. You know, I start kind of, you know, almost I, 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 the if it had a noise, it would be like beep 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 beep. You know, like like scanning the person. Do you do that kind of consciously when you start to collaborate with someone? I think it's subconscious, but、mm. yeah, I think that happens a lot. I can tell, and、uh, into the collaboration, you know, I really. You know, I, I get the rhythm of how、mm. they like to work, and so I'm. I just sort of start to marry that rhythm, or try to, you know, get into their rhythm.、Um, somebody told me once that collaboration was like dancing, and、yeah. I, I do think that's that's very true. And you have to match your steps with theirs, and sometimes you lead, and sometimes you follow, and but you always try to, you know, you're trying to get somewhere, and so,、uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that, and and the the metaphor could extend even further to the ability to react, you know, to changes、um, in in your partner, in the music, in the outcome that you're going for,、um, mm-hmm. all of it for sure. I'd、yeah. I'd like to back up just a touch and and maybe hear the story of how、oh. Flatbed came to be, you know.、Um, so you were because you know we kind of last left off, you were in New Mexico. And at what point did starting your own collaborative shop sort of come into your mind, and what was the process of manifesting that? Well, that was interesting. You know, when I'm,、um, I never heard of a collaborative shop really when I was in New Mexico, 
and moved to Austin, started teaching printmaking at Austin Community College in St. Edwards. And uh, I met um, a man that my, my husband had known years and years ago, I mean, when they were teenagers, and Mark um, L. Smith. And he was a professor teaching printmaking at St. Edwards before I did. And he, um, I told him about uh, that someday, this is what my dream was, was I wanted to create a, a a community shop or a open studio where I could buy a press, move it in, and I get a free studio because I rent <laughs> out. People can come, and, yeah, and I could keep on, you know, using the press, and I could share it with people. That was my, that was what I really wanted to do. And I told him about that, and um, and he uh, he had seen my work. He he liked my work a lot. Um, and uh, had written. He had also been writing for the newspaper, so we stayed in touch. Uh, he actually did some art consulting and bought some other work. So, in through the years, uh, when I found a, a wonderful French tool for sale here in Austin uh, from someone that was moving away, you know, I just went down and I bought it with a personal loan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, wow. I moved it to St. Edwards because they told me I could keep it there before I found a place for it. And um, and so I told Mark that I wanted to uh, start this community press or this this open studio. And he said, um, before you do that, let's will you come talk to me and let's have coffee? I've got an idea. Mm. So I did. And uh, he said, how about we start what you want, but also start a collaborative publishing press, and I want to name it Flatbed, he said. Hmm. And he wrote it out on a piece of paper, I remember this, put a line under it. He said he was kind of, he, uh, he was a designer, he is a, he's a very good designer, and um and he had he had this design in mind about how the word should look, and uh, and I said, well, okay, let's do it. And uh, I got a five thousand dollar personal loan that uh, from my little credit union, and I think he sold a pickup truck for five thousand uh-huh. dollars, and we found a we found a space. I moved uh, my press in there. We started fixing the space up. This was in November of 89, and we incorporated in November of 89 as an S corporation. And um, then uh, we got it ready to open in uh, January, uh, February of 2000. I started that collaboration I told you about in January of 2000. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, and the, the our symbol, the chop that we use. I, I cut that with a on a lino cut after doing a, a brush drawing on a lino cut of what I thought flat bed should look like. You know, the flat of the bed and the circle of the French tool and the rotation and uh, cut it and that became our that became our chop. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of this marriage between his idea and my idea. And we, you know, being a daughter of a farmer, I mean, it's that's a small business in a way. Totally. I knew for us to make the rent every month, we were going to have to really, um, we had to have a broad spectrum of income. We weren't going to be able to make money from publications right away. We weren't going to be able to pay ourselves right away. So we right. had to keep other jobs. And um, so... 
we offered memberships where people could come in at $100 a month and, and they could use our facilities Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh-huh. And Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we would do our collaborations and our our auditioning. And then we would work, and then I did workshops um, on the weekends usually. And uh, that, w- between all those incomes, <laughs> we had enough to pay the rent and the utilities and buy supplies and uh, that's that's where it started from. I was really happy with that too. I mean, just to you know have have it pay for itself and not having to uh, go into debt any more than I did uh, was felt like a success to me. Absolutely, yeah. I'm loving everything you're saying about this, like the nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. making the money work, because it is something that, of course, is really important in the arts. And it's something that we um, maybe can always stand to talk about a bit more, honestly. And, mm-hmm. and that so many people in the arts are in small businesses, you know, whether that's community print shops or art galleries or running their own sort of teaching gig, it mm-hmm. all of it does fall into that umbrella. And, and so we, we have to be creatives, but we also have to be business people if we're going to continue to have something that has a longevity like like what you've created to really think okay like how am I going to pay the rent how am I going to buy my paper it's uh yeah it's it's a serious consideration so I'm just yeah I'm just saying like I I really appreciate you diving into it a bit yeah yeah I I I like to talk to you know if our interns are ever interested or you know my staff I like to talk to them about it because if you want longevity and in any kind of practice, yeah, you've got to figure out the money money end of it. So yeah, yeah, and and from what I've I've heard from a lot of people, you know, I've been a lot of places, talked to a lot of people who are running shops. Mm-hmm. You know, the publishing can be the part that really lights them up, but then it's mm-hmm. often community studio access and classes that keep the lights on in the long right. term. So it's that balance, you know, where um, that printmaking collaboration is just an incredibly rewarding experience. And Mm -hmm. then, but, you know, classes, people come in and you are putting in relatively little financial overhead for that because you can build that into the cost of the class in a way that like with, with publishing, especially if you're your own dealer, you have to put everything up front and then wait for that financial balance to come maybe over decades, you know, as the edition sells. It's true. It's so true. And the I remember figuring this out at the beginning, you know, when I was doing the handley collaborations. I remember putting my, my pencil to the paper and thinking, okay, if we sell these prints, $600 each, and we have editions of 20 of each, how much money would that Yeah. Like, oh, that's a lot of money. But then the reality is... Is that yes? It's going to be spread over thirty years, and so <laughs> you know the the publishing eventually after you have if you do enough really good prints and you do them over a long period of time, the sales of of what you publish will start to become significant, but certainly not at the beginning. And I've even had prints that started out selling at five hundred dollars. And then the artist has become extremely, extremely um, popular or well-known right. over years and gone, uh, you know, international with their work. And suddenly their prints are not worth 500 but the supply and demand makes them worth 
5,000. And that just sort of blows my mind, but that's happened. And, uh, and I, <laughs> but who can predict, you know? Yeah. It's- yeah, absolutely. I was, I was just, um, chatting with Jack Lemon from Landfall about uh-huh. the prints that he did with Kara Walker when she was 20, oh. you know, like, and, uh-huh. you know, she was doing just mind bogglingly advanced, conceptual, challenging prints at 20 years old. But that was the first time she came to Landfall. And, you know, now those monumental prints that she made there, I don't even, I mean, they're probably $70,000 or something. You know, I mean, they're, I don't even know how much they are, you know, but it's it's so interesting how printmakers and collaborative printmakers, they, they do have that, um, mm-hmm. that relationship to like the art market, like the grand, like international art market, because uh-huh. you interact with so many different artists and often, you know, maybe kind of early on in their career because they are still open to taking mm-hmm. on something maybe slightly unusual, like collaborative making. Yeah. But I did. I worked with Trenton Doyle Hancock when he was 21. Mm. And he hadn't even gone to graduate school yet. And we did six editions with him. I happened to see his drawings on the floor of a gallery. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I really want to work with this person because they're going to make prints that are different from anything else I've ever seen. I know they're going to. And so I invited him and, um, you know, you know, put him up. I just thought, you know, this he's a young kid. He can't afford to do this. I can barely afford it, but we're going to do it. And so... He came for a week, and we made these wonderful additions, and they ended up being in the Whitney, and, you know, they've mm-hmm. just got mm-hmm. everywhere now. They're very – and we couldn't even afford to really print any uh, – and I'm not ever very interested in doing large editions, but I decided to do the OULA thing and a uh, print as many prints as we could print in one day <laughs> for the edition <laughs> and, because that's really about all we could do. Yeah. And, so, yeah, Trenton's uh, prints that he did from 1998 are now in editions of 14, you know, 16, the, mm. the editions, and they're pretty much sold out. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would have not known. I just wanted to work with somebody like Trenton that would kind of set my ear on edge. I would do something different. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, yeah, I think, you know, brings up the question for me, how did you and how do you find artists that you want to work with? And, and obviously, you know, you get exposure to a lot of artists sort of just through being in the arts. But what is it about seeing an artist practice that lights you up and makes you say, I want this person in my studio? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, well, sometimes artists come to us, and I don't know them, and I will work with them on a contract basis, you know, and I'll just fall in love with what they're doing, and the ideas will just start flowing, and I'll ask them back, and we'll we'll publish them. Sometimes, like Trenton, you know, I'll see his work, and I'll think, uh, and the work is just unusual and um make and it, i can tell that they're i, I can tell uh, you know you get jaded in the print world but mm. i can see what they're doing and i'm thinking you know they will do something they will make prints like i haven't ever made before and i want this person to know about i want them to translate themselves into printmaking um, not to translate their work like it is but to do something um with those ideas in printmaking and Mm. so um and sometimes i you know i'll find an artist like that and invite them and 
I found out that you know, it doesn't hurt to invite, you know. Right, <laughs> yeah. No, doesn't no, hurt. Yeah, the worst case scenario, they say no, and they're just as yeah. not in your studio as they were to begin with. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, early on in Flatbed, um, uh, uh, my business partner had to leave at one point, and um, I was running the shop on my own, and uh, and so I decided to do. You know, I was thinking about the publishing and how I could afford to publish because I really wanted to. So I created something called a flatbed portfolio one. I, it's Roman numeral one. We haven't done a Roman numeral two, but it was, and I decided just to ask outrageous, you know, people that I <laughs> never thought I could ever get in the shop. And I pre-sold the portfolios to about five people to raise money mm-hmm. and got enough money that I could put them up, you know, if they came to town. So I thought, and buy paper and, and copper. So I I did that and I asked Luis Jimenez and he said yes. Oh, and wonderful! Said, wow, what an experience that was. And I invited Terry Allen and he said yes. I mean, <laughs> I was like, oh, these people are saying yes and they're coming. And uh, and then I invited you know Dan Rizzi and he said yes. And so um, and some other artists that were less well known who I just wanted to work with and they became a part of this portfolio and uh oh michael ray charles he did at black uh, not black cats go out but the white power print for that portfolio so it was yeah yeah i i, I can't really tell you how or why it of artists work might you know i might invite them i um i don't have a strategy i just try to keep my eyes open and um that kind of thing. Mm. And I, it sounds like, too, maybe part of it is a curiosity and an excitement about what their practice would look like translated into print. You know, that that real interest of, okay, like they're doing something really wonderful in this way or in this medium and just wanting to see the outcome of what would happen if we get them in a print shop. I mean, that that yeah. not knowing and then knowing has got to be a really rewarding part of working at Flatbed. Oh my gosh, it is. I love that part. Mm. You know, I love it when we're working with an artist and they don't know either, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and pull that print that just blows everybody's mind and it's like, wow, this is what printmaking is. This is printmaking. This is a... Your little tidy, you know, tiny, which are beautiful often, but this is printmaking. This is making art using this machine and ink and a matrix. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would reckon, too, that a big part of the practice that you have there, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be around building community and building these long-term relationships. And that side of the art world and printmaking in general is always something that's really interesting to me because I feel like I sometimes feel like I need to compartmentalize like friendship mm-hmm. and business and friendship and work. And like, you know, I mean, I say this as someone who ended up marrying a printmaker. So clearly, <laughs> you know, like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really good at that, but that's always an interesting side of things, especially, um, you know, when you're, when you've got a community that has this potential to go back decades, is that community building something kind of consciously that, that you went into or does it just really form and you, you pick up friends who are also colleagues, who are also business partners, who are also might be interested in like 
financially supporting a project like the portfolio and it all kind of weaves together is it do you find that to be a really organic process I think it's more organic although I am very conscious or was conscious from the beginning of wanting to build a community you know with people that would come into the shop that I would have a lot of you know commonality with and we could because I was used to working in a print shop you know printmakers work side by side and they bounce ideas off of each other. They learn from each other. And I was, you know, I missed that from my graduate school days. Um, and I was looking forward to that too. But on the organically, you know, weaving into the other um, community building side, I also realized that uh, collectors and people who want to support or collect work also need to be yeah. um, educated and brought in and, I mean, I, I don't find it a task to stay in relationship with people like that because we all love, we love printmaking. Um, uh, who was, oh, it was Jonathan Bober. He's now the uh, printmaking, um, well, it's not just, he's a curator at the National Gallery of Art and his specialty is printmaking. And he was an awesome at the time. And I remember him saying once to me, he said, you know, uh, collectors, once they really know and understand how a print is made, you know, the technical stuff, then that layer gets, they, they can go deeper into a print than they would have before. And there's this deeper um, respect and understanding and passion. Mm-hmm. If you want to say, he didn't say that. I'm saying that. <laughs> uh, and I know that happens. And, um, and so it's really fun to, to, um, to get to know the collectors that we have that help support us here and, and to talk to them about the nerdy stuff, you know, or the printmaking techniques or this or that, because um, it, you know, it's, it just helps them understand and love the prints more and it helps build a stronger support system, I think, for Flatbed too. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, really significant and and rings very true to me point about the ways in which education and community building overlap within printmaking Mm -hmm. because it's that exchange of knowledge I think where people get excited and then they want to share it with someone else and then they want to share it with someone else and Mm -hmm. because there's so much to know it's Mm -hmm. such a deep vein to mine once Mm -hmm. you get the bug and I think Jonathan is is super super on the nose when it, it's it says he says that collectors get so much more out of collecting prints mm-hmm. if they know about it and and you know mm-hmm. having worked at davidson for a few years and really been that frontline print collector person um, wow. uh you know on the sales floor every day um mm-hmm. talking to people you know i would have people sometimes who were all ready to buy something mm-hmm. and i realized that they actually thought it was basically a printout from a computer and I was yeah. like, you were going to spend $700, you know, like, like yeah. <laughs> I would always be like, what? You know, you didn't even know that this was a, an etching, you know, or something like that. And, and then they get really excited, you know, of course, when, when you can't explain it to them. But yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. And I, and I can only imagine that it, it has become so important in the last two years with the pandemic and all the transitions that people have made that that community must have been quite a bedrock for surviving and pivoting during this time. It was, but you know, it was hard too, because people were very hesitant to come to the shop and 
we we recently moved to our third location, which is uh, and and I'm so happy here because we have a a special studio for our our community printmakers and another studio for um, doing uh, collaborations so we can do that privately and at the same time that people are here. And really, my you know my my dream was to have a you know a beehive of of people working a community here and a beehive of of collectors coming by to visit, but you know, COVID put a real bite on that, and mm. I did miss a lot of my community. But it's it's starting to come back, and um, so we're you know we're hoping that it comes back even better than before. We've had finally people coming by that um, have found us and that feel strong enough and well enough to kind of keep on keeping on and come by mm-hmm. the shop. Yeah, yeah. But you know. The, that we have an advantage also when collectors do come and and now they are starting to come again. Uh, I can take them into the studio and show them techniques or show them printing going on in the back, and they can they can get the feel for what they're buying. You know, they can get the feel for where that print came from, and I think it's helpful for them to know that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always been kind of one of my dreams if I could have my own print studio uh, or, or print gallery is that it would absolutely have to have at least a small press inside of it that people could see and touch and interact with and, and really understand because it's abstract when you try to explain it it's so simple but for some reason even after you know 15 years in this business I, my words still fall short sometimes and I go back to the classic potato print idea which right. you know it's just so undignified to try you know to reduce like Luis Jimenez lithographs to a potato print I don't I don't care I have to do it but it's um yeah, it, it is part of that education and, and seeing it firsthand. That's got to be really cool to continually get to see that people's eyes lighting up when they make that connection between, wow, like this came from that. Because it is remarkable when you're producing prints at the level that you do at Flatbed. It really is. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I hope you can yeah, come by one of these days, too. I'd love to show you the, the shop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then you do have also a, a program that's the Friends of Flatbed Print as well, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like fits in really nicely to this conversation about education and community. Uh, can you talk about mm-hmm. that program? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I uh, When we got to this third location that we're at now, I, I wanted to find a way to, again, kind of expand our community and reward the community that was supporting us. And so I created a a friends of flatbed on several different levels. And the most, the level that I really target toward is um, the Kolowitz circle, Mm -hmm. which of course is one of my heroines. (laughs) (laughs) I love her work and it's a little dark too, but that's all right. And um, anyway, that's uh, people that support us. um, It's a thousand dollars to be a member of that circle we'll get a print uh, that we create that we select during that, that we create during that coming year. So uh, the money that I get from the membership goes into a special fund and I use it to create like a Kolowitz grant. I suppose you would, that's what I'm calling it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I apply it to the costs 
of creating a project that is going to be uh, an impression from me. That project will be distributed to the to these collectors at the end of the year. And I also uh, want to educate these collectors even more about processes. And, and that's been hard with COVID. I'm not a very good Zoom person with, mm. with techniques, so, but I'm hoping to do more of that. But uh, so I try to, uh, well, I do. I include them in demos. If I create a demo or if a, a special artist collaboration is coming up, I want them to meet the artists. I'll have them come and or inform them about it so they can come if they like. And that's been so helpful to us. Um, it's, I, I understand now, and I'm, you know, I'm, as a printmaker, I, uh, running this business, I, I didn't realize there were people that really wanted to support us, and, and, but maybe not necessarily to pick out a print to buy, but you know, this is a way that they could support us. And uh, I'm very grateful that they could, they could do that. Yeah. Oh, they also get a percentage, like a large discount off of one print that they do choose during the year. So I, I think that's a good um, way for small presses to help fund projects. It's sort of like my flatbed uh, portfolio one back in the nineties mm-hmm. is you know, find a way to, um, to gather up some money to do you know, challenging projects or projects with people that aren't well known that, wouldn't be able to to create a print with you know a co-published print or help with the expenses and um, anyway it's uh, it's all a win I'm always looking for the win-win any way I can find it yeah yeah and I think that the continued innovation that you know we hear Mm -hmm. like you're you're moving studios and you're coming up with new ideas and and yeah the the friends of flatbed program i i know a couple studios in thailand that run almost exclusively off that that kind of direct patronage and mm-hmm. if you can just find a handful of people who are who are of the mind and of the financial stability you know to just be able to be like no i want to see this in the world and I'm going to support it and then and then get really excited about the prints they get in return. That's a great way for everyone to win, as you say, the win-win. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So you also do, um, you know, exhibitions as well. And it just seems like you have so much going on at Flatbed. <laughs> You know, because I, I think about working in a commercial gallery like I do and how my, you know, my whole world revolves around just putting on an exhibition, you know, uh-huh. let, you know, let alone being a yeah. collaborative printmaker and, and, you know, running, as you say, you know, something like the Friends of Flatbed and having a community press. And and so out of everything that, that you all do, how does it all work? I mean, how many people are at Flatbed and, and yeah. you know, how, how do you? Keep it all going. Well, it takes a team. I mean, it does. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I it's I uh, my husband retired from being a school counselor about 10, 12 years ago. And I found out that he is the best preparator I've ever met. Oh, that's, that's convenient. Show. Yeah. I mean, I still help curate it, but he, um, he puts it together. He's also an archivist and he takes care of all of the keeping all the prints in order and where they are and, all, you know, all of that. He's a huge part of our team. And then I have two printers. I have uh, Alyssa uh, Ebinger, who recently uh, came from being uh, the apprentice at, at Tamarind, and she's here. 
And she's doing a lot of, she's taken a lot of my load from, you know, admin load and also printing uh, litho and, and doing litho collaborations. And Richie Pena, who started as an intern here, but he has his MFA from the University of Dallas. And, um, and he's already an accomplished uh printer, uh, but he hadn't had a lot of experience with Intellio. And so I, I'm apprenticing him there, but he is, he's great. And if it wasn't for all of us, uh, you know, we wouldn't do as much as we do. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I, it just takes a dedicated team to, to put it together, get it done. And then I have people that volunteer, um, you know, to help me with the workshops. Um, Belinda Casey helps me with that. And so and I can exchange volunteer uh, for memberships here and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever we can do to kind of, again, another win-win thing. I mean, I'm looking for that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, in the meantime, where can people find you and follow you and learn more about the great things happening at Flathead? Well, we do have a, thanks to Alyssa uh, helping me with this, we have a good Instagram presence and it's uh, Flatbed Press uh, on Instagram handle. And then our Flatbed um, website, Flatbed uh, Press at flatbedpress.com has a lot of interesting information on it as well. We also have a Facebook page, um, Flatbed Press. And we use Flatbed Press for most of our, all of our handles. Although when I moved here to Flatbed's new third location, we, we dubbed the location anyway, Flatbed Center for Contemporary Printmaking, because we have so much going on here. Mm-hmm. We wanted people to realize that the, there was a community press as well as a Flatbed Press and Flatbed's Gallery here. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, there's, there's a press, but there's a lot more happening as we talked about so Mm -hmm. yeah well thank you for taking an hour away from you know everything going on and I'm just so happy we finally got to talk and that flatbed is out there in the world putting good prints out and educating people and just thank you so much for the work that you do well you are welcome I love what you're doing I mean you really have added to the printmaking community we're able to to hear more um, than what we ordinarily could or learn more and I really appreciate your program if you liked today's episode we have a patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like shop talk shorts with our editor Timothy Pauschak who digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with our guests. Also, if you've listened this far, you might just be that special kind of print friend who would leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us if you did. And no joke, it really does help support the show. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Rashawn Rucker. We talk about his early childhood influences, watching wrestling with his grandparents, and making championship belts for the whole neighborhood. His discovering the iconography of pigeons while walking down the sidewalk, his love of educating viewers about his work, and making artwork that's now in the Smithsonian from his sofa in his living room. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.